on behalf of the Presbytery of the Western Isles to the service appointed for the induction of Reverend Calamora Smith as Assistant Minister of this congregation. We also, of course, extend a warm welcome to those who are joining us online. On a personal note, it is a great privilege for me to be appointed to take this service. I watched Calamardo coming to faith in Shawbus in September 2002. I was with Calamardo at his induction in Dumfries on November 2011. I also had the pleasure of being with him at his induction to North East, Grimsey and Burnley in June 2016. It is a great pleasure for me to see him here this evening and to see the way in which his ministry has developed and for him to be ready to be inducted as Assistant Minister of this congregation. We begin our worship of God by singing to his praise from Psalm number 118 in Sing Psalms. It's on page 156. And we're singing at verse number 15 uh, down to verse 24. Psalm 118 in Sing Psalms on page 156. Triumphant shouts of joy resound in places where the righteous dwell. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. His mighty hand does all things well. From verse 15 to verse 24, and we stand to sing to God's praise. Yeah. 
Let's join together in prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Almighty and most gracious God, we rejoice as we gather in your presence this evening. You are the great creator, God. You have made us and fashioned us for your glory. And we bless you and we praise you tonight that we can gather as we do. You are the creator God who has become the great saviour God. And we praise and magnify your name because of the way in which you have addressed our sin and the way in which in the pages of the truth and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your son, we come face to face with your purposes and with your plans and with the marvel of the way in which your love moved to save this world brings us to the place where we see the Son of God dying for the sins of the world, reconciling a lost world to you. We bow before you as we confess our sin and we give thanks for that. And as we worship you together this evening on this occasion, we rejoice in the Church of Jesus Christ, your Son. You have bought the Church with the blood of your Son. You are building your Church in the generations of this world. Your word promises us that so you will continue to do until the end of time. And we rejoice for every way in which you appoint and you call and you summon. We rejoice for every way in which you send people to serve you and to minister for you in the gospel. And we are thankful for the generations of the people of God that have gone before us, who have been faithful servants of God, not only in our communities, but across the world. And we give thanks tonight that we gather here on this occasion under the banner of your eternal purposes, under the banner of your redeeming love, and under the banner of the good news of the gospel. And we are thankful, O Lord, our God, for the fact that your Son is King and Head of the Church. And as we worship you together this evening, help us to sense something of what that headship means in lordship over us, of what that headship means in nourishing the innermost parts of our beings, and what that headship means in our humble submission before you. We do pray, O Lord our God, that as we do worship you, we may know your near presence. Your presence transforms it transforms the words that we speak. It transforms the way in which we hear. It transforms our worship in your presence. And we do pray tonight for the privilege of sensing that God is in this place, that you are here in your glorious presence, overshadowing us and indwelling us and giving us to know that every step that we take 
we are taking it in your presence and help us in doing so to walk before you and to do the things that are pleasing and honouring to you. We do pray your mercy and your favour and your grace for the whole of our time gathered together this evening. We pray for your blessing to be upon this congregation at this time. We are thankful for the ministry of the gospel here down through the years. We are thankful for the present ministry. We are thankful for the ministry of your servant, Kenneth I. MacLeod, who has now retired as assistant minister. And we are thankful for the way in which this evening we are gathered because in a new development in your purposes, uh, Reverend Calamara Smith is to be inducted as assistant minister in this place. And so we pray for your blessing to be upon this people. We pray that you will pour of your spirit with your word upon them, so that your word may come with that transforming power to people's hearts and to people's lives. So bless this congregation, we pray. Bless all of its homes and all of its families. Bless every aspect of uh, the ministry of the gospel uh, through your people here and encourage them this evening at this new juncture in their lives. We are thankful as we do worship you that your church is a worldwide church and we are thankful for every way in which you bless your people and your word teaches us that as your church develops and that it, as your church expands that it is subject to growing pains and we remember tonight the church of Jesus Christ that suffers for the sake of the gospel and as we enjoy this time of peace and blessing together we pray for your blessing to be upon every part of your church in the world that they all may sense and know your presence and that they may know that we are with them and that we may know that they are with us and that we may have that greater joy that comes from sensing that the gospel indeed is the fulfillment of the commission of Jesus Christ, your son, to go and to make disciples of all nations. So bless your church throughout the world. Bless the world in which we live, in all of its confusion, in all of its chaos, in all of its sufferings, in all of its pains, and in all of its conflicts. We pray that you will bring an end to all that brings pain. We pray that you will bring peace, that you will bring good health, that you will restore relationships where they are broken and that you will bless us with a sense of our duty to you and our need to return to you as our God. And so we pray as we continue before you that you will bless us and hear our prayer. We pray that you will bless us in the reading of your word and our study of it together in the singing of your praises and we pray that you will help us to hear what you have to say to us from your word this evening. Hear as we ask and accept as we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to turn to read the Word of God now in the New Testament and in Paul's second letter to Corinthians and beginning a reading in chapter 5 and at verse number 16. Second Corinthians 5 at verse 16 and we're reading into chapter number 6. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, 
will regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was re re reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, and with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Amen. This is the word of God, and we trust that it will bless to us our reading from it. I'm going to turn to praise God from Psalm number 85 and sing Psalms on page 113. And we're singing from verse 1 down to the verse marked 9, Psalm 85, sing Psalms, page 113. In times past, Lord, you showed favor to your own beloved land. The prosperity of Jacob you restored by your strong hand. From verse 1 to verse 9, stand to praise God. Lord, you should be
turn together now to Paul's second letter to Corinthians and to chapter number 6, and we can read at the beginning of the chapter, 2 Corinthians 6 at verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. And so on down to verse number 13. It's an interesting story to read, the story of Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. We see at the very beginning of his writings to them that he is addressing them and speaking to them as those who are sanctified, set apart in Christ, called to be saints. And he is able to say that because of his own first relationship with them when this church was actually born. But when we read through his letters, we see in the first place and in his first letter that he is addressing the problems that they faced, problems in their theology, problems in their morality, and problems in their relationships with one another. And we see, for example, in that letter, the great difficulty they had with regard to the resurrection. And so, in the first letter, he is addressing these problems that the church faced. When we come into the second letter, things change slightly. Because we see in the second letter that Paul is facing new challenges in his ministry. And the new challenges are such that his credentials as an apostle are being questioned by the very people to whom he is preaching the gospel. And we read through the first part of the letter as we take an overview of the first five chapters of the letter. We see the way in which they seem as untrustworthy. We see the way in which they seem as lacking authority. We see the way in which they question is being an apostle because he hasn't come with letters of commendation or recommendation. We see that the, because he is weak and because he is suffering, all of these things are raising questions about his apostleship and his right to bring this message to them. And in his interaction with them, what we now find in this letter is the way in which Paul gives to us an explanation of the very credentials of ministry. And step after step, he takes us to this point in the letter where he wants them to understand what ministry is. And tonight I want us to, to look at these verses in chapter 6 against that background and in the context of our induction service this evening and to think of these verses as a model for effective Christian ministry. I want us to think, first of all, that we have in this passage a partnership. Partnerships are so important. No organization can work without proper relationships and proper partnerships. And here as we begin uh, chapter 6, we see in the, in the words of Paul, working together with him then, we appeal to you. The ministry 
is about workers. And they are workers who are working together. And it is that working together, spending that energy together, that makes their ministry effective. But what gives authority to the ministry is that they are working together with him. And of course, you need to ask who the him refers to. And it's clear from the previous chapter that the him refers to God. And so they are working together with God in the ministry. And when you think of, of working together with someone or being with someone, we can understand that in at least two ways. We can first of all be with someone and have no interest in them and not be involved in anything that they are doing. We can be neighbors with, we can sit with, we can be with people and have nothing to do with what they're doing. But the second way in which we can understand being with someone is being so entwined in all that they are doing that it is impossible to separate them from the work in which they are engaged and the person whom they are working with. And such is the entwinement and the intensity of this relationship that Paul uses the same word with regard to the people of God being raised from the dead with Jesus. We died with him. We were raised with him so much in union with him that the people of God cannot be separated from the Christ by whom they are saved. And so tonight we, we see that we have here a partnership of ministry where the ministry is so entwined in the partnership with God that they cannot be separated from him. We see the minister of the gospel where God has placed him and not only has God promised to be with him in the sense of presence, but he is here with the authority of God for the ministry of the gospel and so taking part in the work of God on God's behalf and God with them. And we are here tonight for the induction of an assistant minister. There already is a minister in place in the congregation. Mr. McKeever is here with the authority of God. He is here entwined in the work of God and in the work in which God is engaged, working with him and working for him and working under him. He is already here. And we see that Paul sees in this first verse, not only working together with him, then we appeal to you. There is a team that is in partnership with God in the work of the gospel in Corinth. And when we read through the letter, we see the way in chapter 7, the way in which Paul highlights the importance of Titus in the ministry in which he is engaged with this church in Corinth. And Titus come, comes with news to Paul to comfort Paul because of the way in which Titus himself has been comforted in the way in which the people of God have responded to the message of the gospel. And so we have the whole picture of, of a team that is working with God, entwined in the work of the gospel, a team that includes Paul and Titus, and here they are as those who are sent by God into Corinth to bring the gospel to them.
And so tonight we, we have exactly that. We have the partnership with God. We have a minister and an assistant minister. And they are here with the authority of God sent out to do the work of God. And how much we need as servants of God to remember that. And how much as the people of God we need to remember the way in which God has structured his church and structured the ministry of the gospel so that the minister of the gospel goes with the authority of God and with God with him and with and him with God. But when we think of the partnership, there is an extension to that because the work of the gospel doesn't stop with the work of the full-time gospel ministry. And we see the way in which Paul, in that same verse, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There is an appeal to the people of God from this ministry to be part of the ministry in which Paul and Titus are engaged. They are not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, Paul is giving the image that when we come along to measure the way in which the gospel has prospered or otherwise in Corinth, there has to be something in the measuring can, there has to be something in the measuring scale. He is saying to them that when we come to measure it, the scale cannot be empty. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And that means that there should be development on their part in response to the ministry, but also that there is another partnership for the sake of the gospel. That the people of Corinth form a new part of the partnership. And we see that from chapter 1, sorry, the first epistle and chapter 1, and the way in which Paul speaks of you must also help us by prayer, partnership. There's a role to play. We work with you for your joy. There is such a working together, such a partnership in the gospel that everyone is included. And so tonight when we move on in thinking about partnership, we see that God has a network of relationships, a hierarchy of ministry, and all for the sake of his purposes, that they will be fulfilled. And so when we come to the induction of a minister, or in this case an assistant minister, it includes all of the people of God participating in that. And as we will see, responding to ensure that the grace of God, the gospel, is not received in vain. A partnership that speaks of authority, that speaks of teamwork, that speaks of everyone involved, and that speaks of the way in which the gospel will flourish. Partnership. Secondly, we want to see in the passage that with partnership, we have privilege. What a privilege to be together here this evening. We have so many privileges under the gospel. In this passage, we want to see 
two particular privileges. And the key to understanding the privileges is to understand the key to the passage. And the key to the passage we have in the words in verse 2, now is the, in a favorable time, or later on, now is the favorable time. What does Paul mean by that? He is referring to the way in which God works at appointed times in accordance with his purposes and plans. And he does that by an act of his own will to put in place the very things that he has purposed to do. So when I think of, of uh, the favorable time, for example, I think of the 1st of July and I think of 7 p.m., and I think of the induction of Reverend Callum Murdersmith to as a citizen minister of this congregation, it is a favorable time. God works at particular times to show his favor, to fulfill his purposes. And when we read a favorable time, we want to pay attention because these words tell us that things are moving on and God's plan is being put in place. And at each significant step, there is the act of God that is his favorable time. The blessing of knowing that God has favorable times. And in the passage we see, first of all, that there is a key event which brings us to the cross. And we'll read these words. For he says, going back to Isaiah 49, for he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. What does this have to do with the gospel? Well, it has to do with the fact that the Son of God, who comes to die on Calvary's cross, in Isaiah 49, is the servant of the Lord who is taken from among the people who is sent by God to be the saviour of the world. And he is in that passage being spoken to by God and him speaking to God. There is the servant speaking to the master and from that conversation we have these words. And when we notice that, it is so important for us to recognise, to hear what God is saying to his servant and what the servant is saying to God. And why is that important? Let me paint the picture. These words are spoken into a people who are facing a crisis. And the image that I see in the Old Testament is, first of all, a people who used to be in Jerusalem, taken away by their enemies to Babylon. They are relocated geographically. I go to the place that they left behind and I see the king's house burnt down. I see the Lord's house burnt down. I see everything that symbolized the presence of God with his people done away with and a heap of ruin. And that tells me that this people are alienated from their God. The situation is irretrievable it's irreversible. It's irrecoverable. There is nothing this people alienated from God 
can do to get back to where they're, where they're left behind or get back in any way to the presence of God and to the temple of God and to the king's palace. Nothing can happen. They cannot do anything. And that tells me that the world is hopeless and helpless unless there is a favorable time. And the favorable time in the Old Testament is the promise given to the servant and the promise given to the people of God through the servant. That in this impossible, irreversible situation, there is hope because God is sending his servant. And the servant in that passage is speaking about the way in which his efforts are bearing no fruit. The way in which everything seems to be going nowhere. And he's praying to God the Father. And there God the Father is saying, in a favorable time I listen to you. And in a day of salvation I helped you. And the favorable time, yes it includes the Son of God coming into the world in the manger of Bethlehem. But especially it includes two particular things. It includes the cross where the servant of Jehovah, where he died for the sins of the world. I will give you my servant to bring back the people of God who are away in Babylon, who are alienated from God. And in doing so, the Lord lays on him, the servant, the iniquity of us all. And so he bears our sins in his own body to the tree. And it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And we come to Calvary's cross and the brokenness of the, of the temple in Jerusalem is symbolic of the brokenness that he now experiences on that same cross where in Psalm 22 we read of the way in which his body is falling apart. The way in which he's unrecognizable as a human being. He's suffering the wrath of God for the people that are alienated from God. He is God's answer to the situation of alienation. And he is there suspended on the cross to remove that alienation and to bring about what was thought impossible. To bring about reconciliation. And when I hear on the morning of the resurrection that the tomb is empty, and I hear the word, God, the word of God telling me that God has raised his son from the dead. I see a new image. And, and the image is that, that God is embracing his son by, in this favorable time, bringing him back from the dead. And in doing so, he's, bringing, he's embracing his people, the whole church, in that moment of resurrection. So what appeared to be irreversible and irrecoverable in this favorable time becomes a moment in accordance with the definite plan of God where reconciliation has been secured and when Jesus said it is finished he had paid the price and when the tomb is open and he is raised from the dead and when he is seated at the right hand of God then the new thing begins. The old is gone, says Paul. 
the rubbish and the ruin that's being rebuilt. The people of God come back in their droves. Come, says the Lord to his people in that same chapter. Let the prisoners come out. Let those who are in darkness, let them appear because the Lord has done a new thing. The privilege of hearing that God is a God who fulfills his promise. The God concerning whom Paul says in the first chapter that all of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And so tonight in history we can look back and see that in the cross and resurrection of the Son of God, God's favor is revealed, his purposes and plans are made known, and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean for the church in Corinth? What does it mean for you and for me? It is the fact that in applying that, Paul is now saying, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This moment at which Paul is writing to them becomes their favorable time. In other words, it's the point appointed by God in the purposes of God in the outworking of his plan, in the building of his church, that he is taking that message and that he is now making it a time of favor for them. A time of favor for them when he came with the gospel at first, but a time of favor for them when the gospel continues to be preached there. And we, we follow Paul, as we see in this passage, with with the ministry of of reconciliation, with reminding them that the word of the cross is foolish to, to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, the favorable time, the moment of the power of God touching people's hearts through the ministry of the gospel. It is now happening in the church in Corinth, the ministry of reconciliation. They're not to receive the grace of God in vain. They are to remember that here is the gospel of reconciliation. And what does that mean? Of course it means that they have peace with God. Of course it means that their sins are forgiven. Of course it means that they they are justified before God. But it means Reconciliation in every aspect of that relationship, which means that when they embrace the gospel, they are embracing the very heart of God. When they are embracing the gospel, they are embracing the minister of the gospel, the apostle Paul, whom they are questioning. And Paul is telling them that their response to Paul is their rejection of the gospel and that this gospel of reconciliation must impact upon them in such a way as to ensure that they are understanding the significance of the message and the significance of the messenger. And once that takes place, then everything is resolved. It's the privilege of having the historical message of the cross of Jesus Proclaimed to the people of God, and in 
the now time of God's favour and of God's plan. They are called upon in that point of crisis. They are called upon at that point to respond and to embrace and to be reconciled. And we see then a trail of relationships and they are all at peace with each other because everyone understands the privilege of the ministry of the gospel and in understanding it there is that peace and that synchronized way in which the people of God are synchronized with ministry and the ministry is synchronized with the heart of God and everything flows in that way from the heart of the loving God the privilege and thirdly I was going to say the most important thing, but I, I think the most important thing is the partnership. But thirdly, the participation. How are we to participate in this message of reconciliation? How does ministry work in the context of the ministry of reconciliation? It works, first of all, when we see the sincerity of the minister of the gospel, the sincerity of the apostle Paul. We see in verse number 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. We have spoken freely. We haven't held anything back. We have no, haven't put any obstructions in the way. It's the picture of we kept nothing back from you and we couldn't stop speaking about this truth and the whole truth. It speaks about the constancy of the message, the clarity of the message, and the way in which Paul pours the gospel into the city in Corinth. We have spoken freely to you. And the sincerity of the message we see in the way in which he describes our heart is wide open. We see the heart of God open in love to a lost world. We, we see the heart of God opened through the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth. We see the heart of God open through the sincerity of the minister of the gospel that Hearts are wide open. And of course that speaks to us of, of the fullness of the love of Paul for this congregation. He is speaking to them as to children. It shows to us in the verses previous to this that his heart is wide open no matter what. And that that's where we see the sincerity of the genuine gospel ministry that the heart remains open no matter what. And that means no matter how much he suffers, no matter how, how much he endures hardships, no matter how much he endures calamities, no matter what, his heart is wide open. And that's important because naturally a response to suffering, to calamity, to being slandered in any way, our natural response to that is to close our hearts, 
We cannot love that person who has said this anymore. But Paul is telling us here that no matter what he endured, his heart remained wide open. His love reached out to them no matter what. And tonight I'm sure that in the ministry that you presently enjoy and the ministry that will commence under the assistantship of Reverend Callum Smith, I am sure that that's exactly how they will preach the gospel and minister the gospel to you. And they will know that, that they face challenges in the ministry, challenges that they expect and challenges that they don't expect. But regardless of that, their hearts will always remain open and loving to you as they fulfill their ministry, sent out by the Lord Jesus, sent out with God and in partnership with him. But unless that's reciprocated, then the gospel will not flourish. And that's what Paul says to this people in verse number 12. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. They are restricted. Instead of being wide open the way Paul is towards them, they are narrow and unrestricted towards him. So everything that's happened when the relationship began, it seemed so good. Everything that's happened since then, it seems that they have narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and come to the place where they have restricted their input of the gospel so much that the gospel is now preached in vain. And Paul is reminding them that they haven't been restricted because of the ministry. They have been restricted in their own affections. Their own hearts, the restriction has come in. There's been that narrowing of the flow of the gospel to them. And because of their own choices, because of uh, their own wrong decisions, because of, of the different ways in which they have found fault with Paul, all of these things have closed the channel more and more. And he wants them to be just like him in return. As if he said to them, look at my heart towards you. And when you see that, how wide open my heart is to you, widen your hearts also. And tonight that's what we see in this model of Christian ministry. That as you as a congregation do prayerfully Widen your hearts and keep your hearts wide open to the ministry of the gospel as it goes forth from your minister and from, the, from your assistant minister. That just like the ministers and the servants of God, that no matter what, your heart will always be wide open. And that's where gospel prosperity begins. That's how it continues hearts open towards each other as their heart was to be open to Paul and through that open to the very heart of God so that there flows to them from 
the loving heart of God, the redeeming love of God that fills everyone and that helps everyone to live a life that's devoted to the Lord, a, live, a life that's lived out, that reflects that devotion, and a life through which the people of God develop and grow towards the maturity that Paul speaks of until the day comes when the people of God are perfected. Let's remember the authority, the partnership. Let's remember the great privilege, the message of reconciliation, and let's ensure we all participate. It's for our good, of course. It's for the glory of God, and our Savior will receive glory as we embrace the gospel that comes to us in his name. May God bless his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Gracious God, we are thankful to you for the gospel that speaks to us. We are thankful to you for every way in which it speaks into our lives personally. And help us, O Lord, to understand together always what that means practically, so that as we seek to live for you, we will learn to apply the truth to our lives and we will learn to overcome the sinful desires and choices of our own hearts that we will learn every day to do the very things that will ensure that our hearts are open to you, sensitive to your claims, sensitive to your word as it is proclaimed to us and sharing in the joy of which your Saviour speaks, the joy that he gives to his disciples and to his children, a joy that no one will take from them. So bless your word and hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we now turn to sing to God's praise in Psalm 69 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 308. Psalm 69, and we're singing at verse number 32 down to the end of the psalm. Psalm 69 in the Psalter at at verse number 32. When this the humble men shall see, a joy to them shall give. O all ye that to seek the Lord, your hearts shall ever live. We'll stand to sing from verse 32 to the end of the psalm. Psalm 69. 